Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com If you want more from us, you can head on over to Patreon.com slash Total Reboot. For just five bucks a month, you'll get access to our bonus podcast, Total Reboot Riffs, where you're going to hear Cameron and I do two things. We're going to be doing commentaries for movies that are some of the most splendid creations by mankind. And you'll get to hear us pitch our own reboots to classic movies. Also, you'll get access to the Facebook group, our Cinephile Registry, for registered cinephiles. And that's my favorite thing about this whole thing. Horny Babies and Waniacs, it is my pleasure to come to you at the start of this episode because I'm so damn excited for you to hear it. Uh, it is just me today flying solo. Cameron was away performing at Splendor in the Grass, but I was in Sydney and I was lucky enough to get this episode that we just had to get. Patrick Bristow is our guest on the podcast today. If you're not familiar with Patrick's name, you are familiar with his resume. Patrick's one of those guys that has appeared in almost every single comedy thing that you've ever loved. He is in Seinfeld, Mad About You, Ellen, whose line is it anyway? He's in Showgirls. He's in So I Married an Axe Murderer. He's in Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. In So I Married an Axe Murderer, he plays the very funny, bizarre poet that is on before Mike's character, Charlie McKenzie, uh, who has a very funny poem title that... Patrick will recite in the episode. He's also in Austin Powers, playing the Virtucon tour guide named Bolton, uh, who takes Mike and Liz Hurley on the tour of Virgicon. So we're very excited to have him. Was, uh, I want to say thanks to the guys at Improv Theatre Sydney, Kale and Kate, who hooked me up with Patrick so we could get this very special episode done. So thanks, guys. Uh, if you're interested in doing any improv studying in Sydney, it is the place to go. Uh, so thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. I'm obviously a little bit nervous. I don't usually get starstruck, but when you're staring at a guy that has been part of so many things that you love and someone that you have so much respect for their work, it is hard not to. It's my check. It's my check. Hello, horny babies, and welcome to another episode of Mike Check, the only podcast in the history of mankind, humans here on Earth, that goes through the entire filmography of our hero, Mike Myers, just to check if it's still shagadelic. And baby, so far, still shagadelic. I'm Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm your host here today. Usually I'm here with Cameron James, but Cameron James is on tour at the moment. He's at Splendor in the Grass. But we had to come together to do a very special episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by someone who has worked with Mike Myers himself. Uh, If you look at his filmography, you'll see that he has worked in some of the most iconic comedy pieces 
in the history of mankind, humans here on Earth. I'm talking about Seinfeld, I'm talking about Ellen, talking about Mad About You and Curb Your Enthusiasm, also Showgirls, and of course, he has appeared in So I Married an Axe Murderer and Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. I'm joined with Patrick Bristow here today. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm so sorry that we've got you here on the podcast today. Why? Why? <laughs> Is something terrible going to happen? Well, it's just a ridiculous podcast and I'm always embarrassed to do an intro and call people horny babies that are not in the room. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. I can understand that. Well, I'm so far not offended. Oh, thank goodness. Not yet. Okay. I'll try my best. Okay. <laughs> we usually begin these podcasts by talking about what is our guest relationship with Mike Myers. And usually it's just them saying they like their movies. But you, of course, have met Mike. You've worked with Mike. So what is your relationship with Mike Myers in the past, in the present? Well, um, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but uh, had a great relationship professionally um, with him. Um, he was a guest uh, in an improv show at the Groundlings, yeah. which is my alma mater in Los Angeles. And he came in, and, and uh, we just had a, a lot of fun playing off of each other. Yeah, It was that kind of like sparring where it's not competitive, but you're both really grooving on each other's comedy and, wow. and therefore trying to up your game yeah. in every line and every action. And So that would have been the first time you met him? Yeah. Uh, when was this? Would this have been uh, like SNL era for Mike or... Early? He was on SNL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. At the time. Uh, so it might have been summer or something like that when he did the show with us. Yeah. So uh, he, uh, at some point, um, uh, was going to do reshoots for uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah. They'd shot the film, but they needed some extra stuff. Yeah. And... Um, they were going to set it in a coffee house with a performance artist. Yeah. And he called me and said, you know, uh, I want you to do this. Um, you know, just do some performance art act. Uh, and I said, okay, like like a poem. And he goes, great, great. Uh, he goes, you write it. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Isn't someone supposed to be a writer on this? But okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so he liked this character that I did at the Groundlings um, named Leslie Fishwipe. And Leslie Fishwipe ha- had a wine tasting show, and I would bring out the worst wine, Boone's <laughs> Sangria. Yeah. All right? It just, it, it's like grape juice and rubbing alcohol. Okay? It's <laughs> yeah. not good. So you and, would bring out the actual wine for, oh, yeah. the, for other performers to taste? Or? Uh, for a guest in the audience. Oh, wow. So I'd bring up a yeah. guest from the audience to help me, you know, taste and review this wine. And, uh, you know, the character was, well, an American version of a British accent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very posh. Yeah. Uh, and he was extremely gay. Yeah. Tight bell bottoms, a body shirt, giant shock. Well, what I wore in, in the Axe Murderer, those yeah. are my clothes. So, of course, uh, Patrick plays uh, one of the first characters you see in So I Made an Axe Murder. You are the, I guess the alternative crazy beat poet that is on before Mike's character yeah. comes on. And do you remember what the name of your poem is called? Because that's about all you get to say before you're cut off. Right. Yeah. Um, an open apology to the aliens who abducted me and to whom I inflicted great destruction upon while having a panic attack aboard the mothership. Autobiographical. That is exactly it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Got still yeah. got it. So you, pr- you wrote an entire poem based on that. I did. And... Um, and when I saw where it was going to fit in the script, I thought, they're not going to use all yeah. of this. 
You know, and Mike loved the poem, and he just is he's, he's crazy about it. And he's self-deprecating, so he's like, I hope mine's as good. I'm like, shut up. Of course, what are <laughs> yeah. you talking about? Written by a team of writers. Good, good luck. Yeah. Well, also, just by him. <laughs> yeah. He probably wrote his own. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but he was very gracious. But I also knew, just having been in some things before, that editing-wise, mm. this is the expository section of the film with him and uh, Anthony LaPaglia. Australia's own. Oh, there you Australia's go. Right, right. Yes, I forgot. Yeah. Um, so I made the title to the poem really long. Yeah. Because I thought, they won't cut away from me if uh, I have this long title. And so I strategized. Yeah. So devious. I love it. Oh, yeah. No, I'd been around the block. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, I, and Mike loved it, too. So yeah. it was all good. Um, so uh, what's interesting, if, if your viewers haven't clocked this already or mm-hmm. don't know, is that when we did this reshoot... Anthony LaPaglia had already shaved his head. Oh, really? For a next job. Yeah. And in in the original film, he actually has kind of long long, hair. He looks like uh, uh, Al Pacino in Serpico, is what I would say. He's kind of modeled on. Yeah. He's shaved his head. Or a less threatening um, Rasputin. Yeah. (laughs) But he, um, yeah, he'd shaved his head. So they had to build a wig to match his hair from the rest of the film. Oh, my gosh. So he's totally wigged in that. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, it was my second day that I mm. shot my, my, my title. Yeah. <laughs> as you say. So the first day I had to be in the environment. Um, and a lot of the crew and, and hair and makeup people thought I was an extra. And I got a real window into how some of our background artists are treated. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, it was fairly brutal. Um, I brought that's my own. a packed set as well. There would be so many. It's so confusing. Extras, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so uh, my act of rebellion was to my extra friends when when I finally told craft services I'm I'm actually a principal. Then I got to get into that section where the food is like really great and yeah. amazing. <laughs> you know, while the extras are getting a loaf of white bread, a jar of peanut butter, and one knife that's got everyone's fingerprints oh on it. I mean, yeah. it's gross. So um, my act of rebellion was to um, sneak cookies and shit like that in there for the for the <laughs> extras so yeah i was um i was doing my own little underground railroad thing there for him. <laughs> most popular guy on set oh for for yes for a moment in time so these were reshoots was the so was the story of uh mike's character being a beat poet part of the film before that or was that constructed after you know i don't know i don't know if they decided that whatever they had in the first part of the film maybe was too dry mm. wasn't funny enough well let's do this um, does he do the beat poetry stuff throughout the rest of the film? Yeah, there's only two other scenes where we actually see uh, when we're in the the cafe with the beat poetry cafe. There's one halfway through the film at the turning point. Then there's one at the end of the film as well. And then there's only one other scene where he talks about beat poetry or performs a beat poem to um, to his partner in the film. Yeah, and that when he's when they're reunited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was that's I'd never thought about that before that it could have been like a last minute like kind of placement in the film. I I honestly don't know what the whole reshoot consisted of, yeah. how many scenes in that film. But if Anthony Anthony Lepaglia, um is in one with a wig, then yeah. you know that's a reshoot. Yeah, for sure. We'll, so. have, to, we'll have a look. <laughs> We're going to have to do a reviewing of the movie, just yeah. watching it very On a big now. screen. Big, big screen. Yeah. Well, look at the hairline. Watch the hairline. Yeah. We did actually screen this film on the big screen, and I will have to tell you, you killed it. In front of the live audience, you got a huge laugh. I think it's because people weren't expecting it at all, and it just like that long title, 
and the autobiographical tag at the end, yeah. it crushed it. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> comedy is truth. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the truth behind that. I've had those alien abduction dreams my entire life, up until about 10 years ago. Oh, really? And I had one in which I freaked out and like was throwing these blobs to defend <laughs> myself and then like realized that the blobs were eggs yeah. of them, of oh, their children. Uh, and then they, put, they brought me back down to earth and put me back in, in my... Uh, Bed and they were tele- telepathically telling me that they were very disappointed with me. Oh, coded for something, perhaps. Yeah, the big <laughs> aliens were like, Mm-mm, big head aliens are like, yeah. no, thank you, Patrick. Oh. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> so, is so that what the poem contains? That's yeah, that's the poem is me. I, I think the last thing I said in it, you know, there's something like, I'm sorry when I threw the pink gelatinous bulbs at you, I had no idea that they were. <laughs> Your children. Thank you. So there was a whole epic story. I've since lost any copy of that poem. Yeah. Um, but now that I know that you guys are such, uh, you know, hot fans about it, um, I, if I ever do find it, I will definitely send you a scan. Oh, my God. Please do. That will be a dream come true. Yeah. Um, one thing that we noted when we watched this uh, So Married an Axe Murderer mm-hmm. was that we thought that this film achieved something that I think a lot of films set in these kind of worlds haven't done. I I always saw Mike's character in this film uh, and the, the way he performs as a beat poet at night as kind of a clever way to make a character that is based on a comedian, starring comedian, without having to make them be a comedian. Right. Because I think when uh, cinematically or on TV, when someone tries to film live comedy or make a, something set in the world of live comedy, I can tell from your face you already agree with me. Oh my God. It doesn't really turn out right. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like anything. Nope. It's awful, usually. Yeah, it's awful. I think there's like maybe five examples where it feels right or it's been done well. And like if Punchline with Tom Hanks is one of the best ones, you know, that's uh, already it's not very good. Not great. I will say that um, the Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah. uh, Oh, wonderful. Yeah, they're they're making it work. Yeah. But I think the fact that it's in period maybe adjusts our expectation a little Mm. bit. But there are times where she's credible and and funny and i believe what i'm watching and i'm not torn out of it i played a character that was trying open mic night in a movie that i shot a couple years ago Mm. and i wrote my own stuff because i'm supposed to bomb at first and then i'm supposed to like work from my own point of view the next time i do it and it's supposed to be better but ironically the (laughs) oh no the first stuff was way better yeah and uh, you know the director with uh, you know everything yeah. had to had to try to make that work reconstruct yeah but you know you have an audience of volunteer extras in a um, low budget film yeah and and so the laughter doesn't feel right yeah and they're kind of watching themselves knowing they're performing so it's like the minute if you're in a real comedy club people aren't self conscious um, but the minute they're being watched even on a comedy yeah. special it's like it's like that thing in physics, like when a particle knows it's being observed, it behaves differently. Yeah. Well, you know, God knows actors are a lot, bunch of particles together, so it's only worse. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think what Max Axmurder does so well is that it kind of takes the feeling of that, of what like being a live performer really feels like, and you know that that uh, nocturnal lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then instead of having him being like literally a comedian or literally an improviser, it takes that and uh, changes it to be. 
uh, beat poetry. So the beat poetry can be funny for us in the audience, for us in the audience at home or in the cinema, but it doesn't have to be funny for the people in the film, for the characters in the right. film. And I think what you, your performance lends to that is that you're, you set the tone so well in that film and for that kind of nocturnal lifestyle, that nocturnal world of the live performance space, it makes it feel like you are actually in an alternative kind of comedy space or alternative comedy zone. Were you guys conscious of that at all at the time? That that might have been what they were going for? In retrospect, I'd say that what you're talking about probably was a conscious, I'm guessing, mm. a conscious idea on Mike's part yeah. that was really very brilliant and did all those things that you just cited. And yeah. I, So I don't think it was an accident. Yeah. You know, I, I was just a, a happy passenger in the back seat doing my thing. Um, but between Mike, maybe whoever helped write that, um, and the director, that probably was all quite choreographed. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other stories for So I Made an Axe Murder? Is there anything else you want to talk about in particular with that film? I was in a limousine from the airport to the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> Mike took care of me. Oh, really? Yes. So Mike was looking after you there? Oh, God, yes. Because he would have been excited to have you because I th- to have someone that's like so... Uh, like on the cutting edge of comedy at that time as you were oh. to be bringing them in. Oh, all right. I didn't know I was. Maybe oh, I, I, maybe I should have so. paid attention. I think so. <laughs> Who knows where my career would be at now? Yeah. Um, but he definitely is one of those strong performers who's not threatened mm. by other people's strengths. Yeah. You know, he celebrates it and supports it and nurtures it. And um, he knows that his movie's better by having people be at the top of their game. Yeah. So that was particularly lovely. Um, oh, I do have, a, this is a minor uh, yeah. story, but uh, when I first went into hair and makeup and I showed them what I was wearing and they didn't know that I was, they thought I was like a featured extra Yeah, and they said, well, we're going to pin your wig on. I said, oh, this wig never comes off and I'm not doing anything physical. Yeah. And she was like, <laughs> we're going to pin it because if it does come off, that's not going to be my fault. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, then okay. let's pin away. So then she shows me these half-size bobby pins, which I'd never seen before. And she goes, I'm putting eight of these in the wig. I want eight of them back at the end of the night. Oh, my gosh. Okay, all right. And then she's also putting hair pins in, the the, the kind that are squiggly that they used to have in cartoons that yeah. fly out of a woman's hair. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there, and they're pinning the wig really tight. They made little ponytails with my hair rubber bands around them yeah. and they used forceps to get the rubber bands down onto the micro ponytail yeah and i was like oh my god this is killing me <laughs> and so they're pinning through these clumps yeah and one of those hairpins goes into my scalp i felt oh my, my skin gosh. pop no way like if you were popping like a melon or, yeah. or something right it was like oh and she goes what <laughs> and i'm like um think you just punctured me and she goes i couldn't have i was using one of these and she shows me the short bobby pin that has the big plastic knobs on the end i'm like okay all right and um so at the end of the night i have six not eight of those oh my gosh those pins and i'm like terrified (laughs) so um you know i leave the stuff there the next time morning i came in and she was a little bit you know and i i said i'll pin it myself and she goes why and I said, well, you punctured me last night. Yeah. She goes, no, I didn't. And I went, yeah. I go, look, there's, see that red spot right there? And she goes, well, of course it's red. You're a redhead. And then I really became a redhead. <laughs> oh and I was gosh. like, um, absolutely not. Yeah. I will pin this. I go, 
uh, tonight I've got about a page of dialogue yeah. to do. Um, and, you know, I just wish you weren't harassing me, you know, oh, so wow. much. And then she, then Mike comes in and goes, hey, Patrick, yeah, that poem's going to be great. And she was, looks at him and looks at me. And like she figured it out. Yeah. But I was like so like mad. I'm like, why would you treat anyone an extra this way? Yeah. Because it's just what you thought I was. And it was such it was such a great education though, just going like, wow, some people can be pleasant as pie Mm. if they think that you're you've you've got some power or you've got some cred. And if you don't, they can take their frustrations out on you. And it just kind of just just taught me to like watch out for everyone on the set. Yeah. And when somebody is, you know, like maybe looking a little bit nervous or browbeaten, maybe they are browbeaten, you know, mm. it's, a, it's kind of a brutal industry at times. So I pinned my own wig. So you got another credit on the film. <laughs> I didn't get in that union, but I oh, wish I had. No. Well, I'll make a call out to IMDb. Make sure that you're credited. Would now you? As in wig the pinner. wardrobe, in the wig pinning. Well, you are the wig master as well. Uh, right, there's a, there's a through there's line precedent. there. There's precedent. <laughs> so you play the wig master on uh, Seinfeld. On Seinfeld, yeah. yeah. Did you think that? Did that help? Was that before or after? Did that help you out? Oh, that was after. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was such a, a different experience, you know, um, uh, b- because I wasn't having to write anything, yeah. you know, or whatever. But again, on that set, everyone was super, super nice. Yeah. You know, and when you're a guest star coming into an established family on an iconic show, you know, you don't want to mess up. Yeah. So when the star and the other stars are laughing at what you're doing and in down moments going like, so, you know, where are you from? What are you doing? It it just kind of relaxes you and go like, I must not be sucking. Yeah. And of course, I was raised Catholic. So yeah. I'm, the, the, the <laughs> default is always that I'm sucking. Yeah. Um, and I, I must be doing okay. And that was a really fun episode to do. Oh, it's one of the one of the great episodes. So yeah. much iconography in that one. You've got Kramer dressed as the pimp in the yeah. in the famous Technicolor Dreamcoat yeah. that you present him. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, I must say. Cool. Uh, um, while we were talking about Soul Mad and Axe Murderer, one of the other co-stars of that film is Phil Hartman that you were talking to me before about having worked with Phil quite yeah. extensively. Um, he's one of our like great heroes for Cameron and I on this podcast. Great, as he should be. What is it like working with someone like that that I think would must be such a generous performer or just such a master craftsman of comedy as well? Um Wow, Phil. Um, first off, Phil was in the Groundlings when I started studying at the Groundlings, okay. the improv and sketch troupe in L.A. Yeah. And just as I was getting into like the performing level companies, mm. he got snapped up by SNL. Oh, wow. All right? So he would have been at that performing level when you were reach- just reaching it. Oh, he had been yeah. at it for years. Okay. And so he was um, swept off to SNL. Julia Sweeney was still in the wow. company with me, but then uh, a year later she got snapped up. Yeah. Um, so uh, where ha- Phil was always a legend mm. and he was that kind of like just chill, cool, awesome guy that everyone, all the guys wish that they could be and all the women wish that they could have. And, <laughs> um, and I, I won't speak for the gays, um i could but i won't okay so um when i got to improvise with him at one of our anniversary shows where they brought back the alumni and at that point i was an alumni as well yeah and we did uh, an all improv show and i 
I was watching him in his scenes just be so centered and relaxed, like like a martial arts you know um, master who you, the other students are trying to hit and he's just blocking them without any effort, right? <laughs> and graciously and beautifully, and it's art. He was that centered genius doesn't break a sweat kind of improviser mm. never over amped never over adrenalized and i was the opposite i was you know, hyperactive yeah we have bars above the stage i was swinging off them <laughs> and you know doing high voices and um uh, you know some people might have thought it was obnoxious and maybe it was um <laughs> there's I, nothing wrong with that in comedy no i had i had my following but when I did a buddy cop improv with him, yeah, and I was supposed to be a fairy, and I was putting my ballet training to good use, <laughs> and speaking in this voice, I'm going to back off the mic. Yep. What ho! I am here! So, you know, it was really grating. And I was busting a sweat, let me tell you, yeah. and he was the cop that was just kind of centered. Mm-hmm. Now, he got as many, if not more, laughs than I did, and they were richer laughs, and I was just, while in the scene, I was going... Holy fuck, this is the way to do it. Wow. I just, you know, uh, he and I really bonded that Mm. night, and he pitched me for some projects that he was doing. Um, And I just became obsessed. I said to my husband, I said, I'm retooling my factory. I go, you're going to, I may not be very funny for a while, but I'm going to calm down, listen, really try to get a little bit of what Phil has. Not imitate him, yeah. but try to have that similar process where you can be so accurate without showing any effort. Mm. And sure enough, I I went down for a while. Yeah. And my husband would see me in a show and go like, what were you doing? You were t- people were wiping up the stage with you. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they were. It won't always be that way. Don't worry. Yeah. But I've got to go through this. Trying to find that nuanced honesty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... It changed the way I improvise, and it changed the way I teach improv. Um, you know, did I ever a- a- achieve a hundred percent Phil Hartmanism? Um, no, uh, but I definitely moved further along that spectrum and got so much from him. And when he uh, when he died, mm. uh, I found out. I think Lynn Stewart called me and told mm. me, and. I was just stunned. I just didn't make sense. Nothing like he was the golden boy. Yeah. And then People Magazine called and wanted a quote, and I gave it to them. And I was just so stunned. Yeah. It just nothing made sense, and the whole thing was so tragic. Just inconceivable. Totally inconceivable. I think for me, I was very young when that happened, but that was the first person, like being a little tiny comedy nerd. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, basically, that was the first person I remember ever knowing like what death was. Yeah. So I'm, I, it's, I'm very sad to hear all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're talking just now about your role as kind of an improv teacher. Um, I'd love to hear about like your work as an improv teacher at Groundlings or your or your own company that you teach at. Yep. You must have a pretty huge like cult <laughs> cult around you. I can imagine. I'm trying to build a cult. Okay. Um, you know, it's harder these days because a lot of people are 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 hip to what a cult is, so yeah. you can't sneak up on them. Mm. And that you're calling things levels as well. I imagine that they're, yeah. they must figure it out by now. No, a lot of them haven't figured out the levels thing because that does go along the school thing. So they don't make it a Scientology uh, okay. kind yep. of um, parallel. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but I, I think I think having a cult is the way to go because yep. then you know people give you money and land. Yep, they're loyal to you. Uh huh. And um, basically, no one argues with you or contradicts you. So I'm really looking forward to being a cult leader. Okay, that's what every good teacher should be. But it's taking much more time than I thought. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's no fast track. No, no. Some of my students have said they want robes, and I'm like, no. We, I'll let you know when you're, yeah. when you're good enough to have a robe. Uh, bring some back from Australia. We've got lovely material here. You do have fabulous fabric. <laughs> um, uh, no, but my joke in my class is that it's a cult. <laughs> uh, I actually hate the guru thing. I really do. Um, Henson, who I do work for, yeah. referred to me in a press release as an uh, improvisational guru, and it took eight years for me to finally convinced them to to remove it to yeah but it had been copied and pasted so it was out in the universe so we finally you know they got a new press release or whatever mm. and they got that out and, and now it's kind of, yeah now it's falling away but yeah. it just it's like well come on i help people it, it might be at, at the highest level it might be art it might mm. help with their acting all that stuff but at the end of the day i'm helping adults do pretend play yeah <laughs> and be more effective yeah. in their in their make 'em ups. Yeah. Well, just making it more honest, I guess. Well, you know, just taking a chill pill. Um so I started my teaching at the Groundlings. Yeah. I was trained there to teach, you know, their beginning level and then you move on and teach the next levels. Mm. Uh I enjoyed it right from the beginning. Yeah. My mother was a ballet teacher, so I had had a front row center uh seat to watching that pedagogy in action yeah and also uh in her class i'd be like she's not you know pulling up why aren't you telling her to pull up my mother would be like because i'm working on her feet <laughs> just we'll meet this out yeah. we'll meet this out and i was like why don't you just tell them everything that's wrong and she's like that will overwhelm them so i learned how to teach from my mother yeah i learned how to teach groundlings from groundlings yeah um Finally, after many years of teaching all the levels at the Groundlings and being the um, chairman of the school's steering committee, which made the decisions on syllabus and stuff, um, I kind of went like, you know what? Um, I want to teach in a place where 
I'm not preparing someone to pass a competitive level. Yeah. Because you have 12 classes to do it. And it's, well, what if they, that person needs 16, but they'll be fabulous. Yeah. And also, I got tired of being the person that was dashing people's dreams. Yeah. Which, as a teacher in a conservatory model, that's part of the job. Especially in an artistic mode. That must be so hard. Yes. And um, and I just knew how many people had been crushed by not moving on. Yeah. So I thought, I don't know, I'm going to... I want to teach something different. And the first thing I did was I put out an email and said, I'm going to be teaching a class where we're going to do Shakespeare, Tennessee Williams, and film noir, the three most shouted out styles in improv shows. Yeah. And we're going to spend a few weeks on each one uh, actually doing real source material, educating ourselves about the verbiage and nomenclature and all that kind of stuff Mm. that goes with it, the tropes, the themes. Yeah. And then we'll improvise it. And sure enough, everyone was so good doing those styles, and it wasn't the the standard default hacky jokes that every Im- improviser yeah. uses, because they were doing it from a much more informed place, and, and the comedy was richer, and the audience responses was better than I'd seen. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I like teaching outside of this conservatory. Of stuff that already exists. Right. Creating your own. At that time, I started teaching for the Jim Henson Company. Yeah. Uh, teaching the puppeteers there to do improv, and they took to it like ducks to water. Wow. I mean, they were, it was absurd. It was like two months into it. I said, we should do a little show. And then Brian said, yeah, all right. And I'm picturing something being done at the lunch hour. Yeah. And he rents bleachers and puts them in the soundstage oh at Henson and, and invites 200 people, you know, exclusive industry art, you know. And I was like, what the hell's happening? Yeah. Uh, but that was the beginning of Puppet Up. Which, of course, is like this long-running now, iconic sketch improvised show. You host it. Yeah. And it's The Muppets for Adults, uncensored. Yeah, we can't say the M word because Disney owns The Muppets. Oh, really? Okay. It's a puppet show (laughs) for adults. Well, we can say it's a Henson puppet show. Oh, well, that's it. People know what it is now. Yeah, and and a lot of our puppeteers actually have worked on the the last Muppet show. Yeah. A lot of them just flew to London for Muppets Take the O2. Wow. Um, and a lot of them uh, have worked on uh, like the Hollywood Bowl show and stuff. So it's a big crossover of the small pool of Henson and Muppet performers yeah. that are good enough to do it. So when you're bringing those people in and you're teaching them improv, what's is that... Because they would already have like characters so ingrained in them, right? The puppets that they're working with. Are you doing as much character work with them? Oh, or? absolutely. Yeah, okay. Because another thing is that Brian wanted us... Brian Henson wanted us to discover new characters. Yeah. And so the puppets we had were all the lint trap puppets that had been extras... You know, oh, oh, okay. in, in yeah. a movie or something. And we actually started out having some of the old Muppets, not like the characters you'd recognize, but penguins that were in the back of something. Yeah. Um, when Disney heard what we were doing, they had their lawyer say, oh, we'd like our puppets back. Whoa. And that was about three weeks before we were to go to the Aspen Comedy Festival. So you had to build new ones. Uh, had to build new ones and go back into deep storage. Like there's a warehouse in New Jersey. So some people in oh New York gosh. went in there and pulled and took pictures. And Brian said, that one, that one, that one, that one. Some of them didn't hold up because the latex foam dissolves yeah. and they get toasty. You pull your hand out of an old puppet and it's like you've got toast crumbs everywhere. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, gosh. They seem so alive, but they're just crusty little <laughs> crusty little dead things yeah and i know some people that actually wear a latex glove before they put their hand uh, in well it makes sense i guess you have to yeah i'm thinking where everyone's hands have been and then they're basically dealing with sponges yeah. depends how intimate i guess you want it to be yeah and I, you know and you never know where the other puppeteer's hands have been yeah. you can guess but um 
so uh, anyway, um, I did a lot of you know character work and stuff like that, and, yeah. and work with the puppets. I could see the puppeteers because they weren't hiding behind anything. Yeah, we made that part of the show. Oh, okay. So you can see the puppeteers. You can either look up at these giant screens and see just the puppets, like yeah. you would on TV. Yeah, from the waist up, basically. Or you can look down on the stage and see the puppets and the puppeteers working. Yeah, wow. And go, oh, that's how they make it look like it's swimming. Oh, that's how they, you know, yeah. make something look like it's jumping. So you're giving them a peek behind the curtain. And I think I think that adds more magic to it. Totally. Yeah, just to see how it's all actually working. I've been watching it for 12 years and never gets boring. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Well, get some puppets and some people together. I'm trying. I've tr- I've got no puppet mates. I've been trying for so long. Put something out on Gumtree, maybe. Right? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> I would love to talk to you as well about your in Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Of course, yeah. that is the the pinnacle for us on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I've studied film for six years of my life very seriously, and Austin Powers is my number one favorite film of all time. Ah, yeah. I think well, I've seen it good. over four hundred times, maybe not that many times, but a lot. Right. It's so funny. And you, of course, play the Virtucon uh, tour, tour guide. guide. Bolton, I believe your name is? Yes. Bolton. Oh, it's Your scene is so funny in the film because I think it hits like the best tones of what that movie can do where it does... It, it, it is peop- it is a world that uh, the evil world of Doctor Evil. Yes. That's it's this bizarre like uh, bureaucratical company that takes itself very seriously, but is also ridiculous. And yeah, we make volatile chemicals, many of which you find chemicals. in your own house. Oh, volatile chemicals is one of my favorite lines in the film. Yeah, I, they gave me good stuff to say. Oh, did you have to audition for Austin Powers? No, the way that happened mm. um, was when Mike was thinking about doing Austin Powers. Yep. He uh, rented the Groundlings Theater for a night, and he and I basically did a two-man show. Wow. So when he was back in makeup turning into Dr. Evil or whatever, um, I would be doing one of my character monologues yeah. on stage. So, And then when he needed someone to play opposite in his scene, it was me. Wow. I think there might have been... I don't know if there was anyone else in it. So you were there on the ground was. floor with Austin Powers. Oh yeah, right. Really cool. I was actually the first. Um, I think the first fembot in a way because oh my gosh, it was something where he had to refer to this woman. And all I know is that I had my long blonde wig on and sunglasses and a giant sweater and fake boobs. And the sweater <laughs> went down to about mid thigh, and then yep. I had black shiny tights on and heels. Of course, you know. And, you know, and then my red stubbly face. So, <laughs> um, but he had like full makeup for Dr. Evil and everything like that. Wow, like the full prosthetic. Yeah, I mean, like they, he was at it. Wow. And I'd be out there doing, you know, some character. Um, I did my, my Menudo character, I think, um, who was a guy who had been in Menudo, was on the skids and trying to like get something to happen again, you know? Um <laughs> And again, Mike gave me free reign, and it was yeah. just so much fun. And, oh, and then we did some improvs, too. Uh, just general improvs. Um, so what were the scenes that you were doing in this kind of live secret stage version of Austin Powers? God, I wish I remembered. <laughs> Damn it. And I think I never even got a tape of it because, you know, it was proprietary. Secret, yeah. yeah. Um, I, mostly, I just remember being the fembot. <laughs> 
<laughs> and playing against Mike as as Doctor Evil or Austin or both. I don't remember. Wow, <laughs> that's okay. Aging is a sad thing. Oh uh, well, hopefully I get to do it sometime. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's better than the alternative. Um, I really I don't remember that night. So, um, maybe I was drunk. No, I've never performed drunk, so it couldn't have been that. Okay, maybe that's on I had the record. Small, don't worry. Small stroke or something. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, when it came to casting the film, yeah. Um, he asked me, you know, like, like, you know, what do you want to do in it or something like that? And I said, I think I wanted to uh, do the tour guide. Mm. So you got to choose your own role. Kind of. It, it worked out. But he said, oh, that one we have offers out to some people. Yeah. Because it was the kind of cameo you could get a star for. Yeah. And as he explained to me at the time, he goes, look, everyone has foreign domestic value points. Mm-hmm. And... We have to look at those. We have to make a certain amount of points to get, in our cast, a certain amount of points mm. to get a foreign domestic deal. Okay. A foreign domestic, foreign distribution deal. Yeah. And uh, I was like, all right. And he said, he goes, you could be the guy that does the countdown. Yeah. And it turned out to be actually not an unfunny bit in, yeah. in, in the movie, but on the page, I was like, oh. That's just a guy counting. And I thought, I, I was at a place in my career where my agent or manager at the time said, look, respectfully just pass on this because mm. if you end up showing up in this as like an extra, yeah, people will think two things. One, you had a bigger part that got cut down because yeah. you weren't good. Yeah. Or that you're willing to do a day for a low amount of money. For a favor or right? for a... So, um, you know, much as I uh, uh, was a champion for extras earlier, I wasn't ready to be one. <laughs> you were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> already take that paycheck. Someone's a hypocrite. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, I told him respectfully, I said, thank you so much. I don't need to be in the movie. Yeah. You know, if you catch me on the next one or not at all, that's all good. I was like, just do your thing. But I think he felt bad about it. Mm. Um, cause he's a sensitive guy. And, uh, sure enough, I guess none of those offers got picked up for Virtucon tour guide. So called and said, all right, you're the tour guide. Now, um, I had a lot of great material. All of it didn't get in. Some of the material got cannibalized and used for um uh, a different character oh really yeah do you remember which character it is um i think it might have been um god my memory is for shit today would it be robert wagner's character it might have been robert wagner or um was uh the guy from cabaret Oh, um, uh, michael york yes yeah all right it might have been him and it had something to do with like the Virtucon like collectible plates or something like yeah. that. Okay, so that I I shot those lines. Oh wow! Um, but on you the know, tour bus as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. But either it made that segment too long, or maybe it wasn't as funny coming out of my mouth. So they just cannibalized him and mm. gave him, and nobody would ever know because it's seamless. Yeah. Long story short, um, <laughs> I did the uh, did the uh, t- tour guide, and it was really fun. Well, it's such a funny scene. I think, like I said, that Volatile Chemicals line, when we screened Austin Powers for, uh, I believe it's 20th anniversary here, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that killed the hardest in the cinema again. You became like a real fan favorite for people on our show. because you, You really, it's such a funny line reading because it's just like, how would you describe your character? Because I would think of it as just like, like I said, that bureaucratic thing. But then you're trying to show... Make it exciting, something that's terribly unexciting. For yeah, these yeah, exactly. And I think that's pretty much on the page. You, you, you realize that 
this is just a horrible tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also knowing that at the end I had to turn and go, we have a problem. Yeah. Right. Um, that I wanted to have a place to turn from. Also, I was playing a lot of characters and different things that were perky and happy and yeah. maybe just a little bit too much. Like on Ellen, my yeah. character was always a little bit just a little too happy. <laughs> um, so that was a color that I, I did a lot of at the time. And, and it comfortable seemed to, with. And, uh, totally yeah. comfortable with. So um, it was kind of fun to like, you know, to think about volatile chemicals, many of which you'll find in your own household. <laughs> and it'd be really positive And it's not... So it, it it was it was easy to do and it was fun and it set up for that ending because hopefully people believed in, in in the tour guide section that this guy was this chirpy happy idiot yeah you know what was it like on set as well was it like well I have to ask you was the vibe horny was the vibe groovy <laughs> the vibe was groovy it wasn't horny <laughs> okay um uh, even with uh, Elizabeth Hurley there. Uh, just she was so gorgeous i really had a hard time not looking at her yeah you know just those eyes you'd just be like god she's beautiful yeah you could be up close to her and like oh my god she's flawless <laughs> you know and then she was fun and nice and down to earth and yeah. cool so um you know it was just it it was not a high budget film mm. so i think the shooting schedule was probably a little tighter a little more ambitious than a lot of other films okay uh, so, so it's just work, work, work. It's a little kind of like let's get this, let's get this, let's yeah. get this. Jay Roach was lovely, um, and I think I showed up downtown LA about nine a.m. and I think I was out by one. Whoa, that's a, such a fast schedule. Yeah, that's uh, they packed it in. Yeah, and every time we had to go back to one on yeah. my scene, we had to back that thing up through the lobby. And beep, it's beep, famously beep, a very beep, slow beep. vehicle. <laughs> Especially going backwards, yeah. <laughs> so um, so yeah, it was it was fun, it was easy, and uh, and I, I I love having that on my resume. Yeah, was Jay did Jay Roach take the time to uh, kind of work character work with you or anything? What was his direction like? Uh, yeah, as I recall, it was pretty just you know um, mechanical stuff like hey, you know that section? Can you tighten that mm. up a little bit? Not so much space there. Yeah, um, you're doing great. I mean, like he was. Just, just trusting. Uh, yeah, you know, I think most directors look at what you do first and then see what they need more or less of or not at all. Mm. And I think he just liked what I was doing. And I think probably Mike was also, you know, uh, very involved. And Mike yeah. might have gone like, yeah, it's good. Great. Let's go. So I didn't have any challenges, which I've had on sets where it's like, oh, my God, they want me to reverse everything I prepared. Yeah. And then thank God for the improv training. Um, but sometimes it's really hard. And with directors that are not clear communicators, oof, man, that can be a nightmare. Yeah. Because they're looking at you like it's completely your fault. Yeah. And it's partially your fault, but it's also partially theirs for not being yeah. clear. And not but- being not being with it, not being not being uh, ready to adapt <laughs> with what's happening there on set. Yes. Yeah. I've worked with many bad directors as well. So Ooh, yes, <laughs> yeah. it's, I think it's a rite of passage for all of us. Yeah. Now I could have been in um, Wayne's World too. No way. I was on set in makeup for two days. Oh my gosh. Because they were kind of rewriting as they were going. Yeah. Just never, they never got me in. What where were you? Uh, where were you meant to be? The, um, the, the, the Russian, um, restaurant or bar or whatever. Yeah. Russian. Uh, uh, comrades. Comrades. Yeah, yes. yeah. Do you remember what you were supposed to have done in that? <laughs> yeah, I was going to be a waiter. Yeah. They 
had made me up to look like Vladimir Lenin to a degree. <laughs> I had a, a, a fake, you know, a goatee that was yak hair. Whoa. It wasn't like on a netting. They laid it on hair by hair onto a oh base my of gosh. glue, which took a couple hours. And I was like, geez, they got a budget. And like, I've just got this yeah. one thing. Why are they going to this? And it looked totally natural and totally real. That's insane. And then I had my little round Trotsky type glasses yep. that were less Lenin than Trotsky. Proper and then communist. My giant, my giant hat. And um, and when I got there, the director came out and said, "Hey, look, they've. Um, I don't know that we're going to get to your thing today. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's business. I'm still getting paid. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day was like, look, they wrote it out, but uh, Mike still wants you to be part of this, so. We'll see if there's a bone we can throw you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't get to be in it, but I do have a Polaroid somewhere of me really? in that makeup. Whoa! If you find that, you got to send that over. I will as totally well. do that. So um, we'll uh, we have each other's email. So yeah. um, email me and remind me. Go, hey, give me any a- luck. Yeah. <laughs> any luck finding those memorabilia? Yeah, I think I will. Far out. Oh my God, that's crazy. I had no idea you were also perhaps almost in Wayne's World. Almost in Wayne's World. Well, that's that's the, all the pinnacles. I must ask you this. Between So I Married an Axe Murderer and Austin Powers, they come up as probably alongside Wayne's World as the two, uh, amongst our horny baby fans, mm-hmm. uh, as the two iconic films in Mike's history. In yes. the canon <laughs> that is known as the Mike Czech Republic. Those are those are the pinnacle of our art. The Mike Czech Republic. And uh, I've got to ask you, which one do you think is the superior film? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um Austin Powers. I would be there with you. you know? I think they're two of the best movies of all time, but I think Austin's my favorite. I'm also a huge fan of the original Casino Royale. Yeah. And with Peter he, Sellers and yes, and he did homages to that yeah. in in Austin Powers, which went over some people's heads. But um, and I love Axe Murderer, but there's something about it, the Bond spoof, and the, the and I use the Austin Powers character in my teaching a lot as an example of a character that doesn't have any idea how they really come off. Yeah, so he's a perfect example of comedic irony, where like he thinks he's sexy and. You know, and he's so confident and mm-hmm. he's so repulsive. Just the teeth alone. Yeah. It's like, nope, nope. Uh, but like, he, the, it never breaks through. No, he doesn't. Um, so I, I just love that aspect about the character. And I think he's gentle and earnest and um, delusional. You know, he's so much fun. Yeah, he's kind as well, so... Yeah! What Austin Powers captures is the most delightful thing in the world. It's that impish kind of character wandering through nature and just kind of inspiring happiness around him, or at least trying to inspire that. I think that's what makes that movie so special. And I think you in your scene playing against that as this bureaucratic guy trying to create excitement in something that is not not (laughs) exciting at all follows exactly that same path as well. Maybe I'm the... um, I'm the anti-Austin. <laughs> We've got to bring you back for Austin Four. Any any news about Austin Four? No. Okay, we got to. I'm going to help it. I'm going to help it happen. <laughs> if I can do anything in this world, that is my final mission. <laughs> Fantastic. Let me know how it goes. Oh well, thank you so much for joining us here in the My Czech Republic. It's been my pleasure. Oh, uh, it's been such a joy to have you, and thank you for all your work as well. Uh, You're very welcome. We wouldn't exist without you. So, <laughs> um, I'm a giver. Is there anything that you want to promote to the horny babies out there? Um, 
You know, I uh, I don't know if the show is showing here on the Paramount Network yet, but um, I'm uh, playing Alicia Silverstone's boss on American Woman. Oh, wow. Okay. And that just started airing a month or so ago in the States. Yep. And it's set in the 70s, and she's a single mom, and she's really good in it. And uh, it's a different type of role for me because it's not not comedic. Not broadly comedic. No, yeah. and I'm, uh, I'm a bit of an asshole. Wow. And uh, so, you know... If you want to see what has happened to the tour guide, yep. that's what happened to the tour guide. <laughs> we'll share that on our socials as well. Uh, are you on uh, Twitter or Instagram or anything? I don't really do Twitter unless I'm promoting the Puppet Up show. Yeah. And I don't do Instagram because I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm new to it as well. It scares see, the you shit can, out of me. You can see me right now. The audience can't, but I'm a very old man. You're one of the most beautiful people I've ever laid my eyes on. But and ancient. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that comes a certain beauty as well. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Patrick. And uh, we'll see you very soon. I hope so. Oh, gosh, horny babies. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. It was such a thrill to talk to Patrick. Uh, if you liked what you heard, share this episode with your friends. I think this is one of the one of the coolest episodes that we've done, really. Getting a real insight into someone who's worked with Mike Myers and the work of Mike Myers himself. Uh, so share it with your friends. Also, if you did like what you heard, give us five stars on iTunes. And in your reviews, let us know what you would like our next super-specific actor-based spin-off podcast to be. For example, you could... Give us Saved by the Bell, the podcast all about the career of Kristen Bell and if she saves the shows she's in. That's from Kata on iTunes, so thanks, Kata. Uh, we'll be back with an episode next week. I think we'll be talking about 48 Hours. We're going to be talking about Eddie Murphy in Murphy's Floor. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys, and head on over to Total Reboot, which is our other podcast where we talk about reboots, remakes, and rip-offs in cinema, and head on over to patreon.com uh, slash totalreboot to get bonus episodes. We're going to start doing Mike Myers' box set of commentaries soon, starting with Wayne's World. So we'll see you over there. Thanks for joining us, guys. We love you. See you next week. It's Mike Check! It's Mike Check! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.